The Gist is brought to you by Slack. Slack brings all your communication at work into one place. Create a new team right now at slack.com slash gist, and you'll get $100 in credit for when you decide to upgrade to a paid plan. That's slack.com slash gist. And by Goldman Sachs. Get information about developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy on the firm's podcast, Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, available on iTunes. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, April 1st, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The state of New York and the state of California were vying for the distinction of being the first states to pass a $15 an hour minimum wage. It would seem that by a day, California got there first. Though if you listen to the details, maybe another picture emerges. And with that, millions of Californians are now one step closer to getting a pay raise. Today, state lawmakers approved a bill to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2022. Okay, so California is the first in the nation to pass the law, but the wage won't go all the way up to $15 an hour until 2022. New York passed the law a day later, but its minimum wage hits $15 an hour in New York City by 2018. So is New York a day late or four years early? But let's listen to a few more details of the California plan. To give you an idea of how this plan would work, California's minimum wage will increase to ten fifty in 2017, then $11 in 2018. Aha! And this is why I never listen to Channel 2 local news Sacramento without the inflation calculator by my side. It's good for mad men, too. Like, remember when Joan got 5% of the company, which was said to be worth a little over a million and a half dollars? In today's dollars, that'd be $10 million. So you understand why Joan was mad when they tried to take that away from her. Anyway, the raise that California's doing, ten fifty next year, $11 the year after that. Now, realize this. The minimum wage in California is already $10. So if you assume 2.5% inflation, going up to $11 will only feel like $10.50 in today's money. A 50 cent an hour raise over two years is pretty much just keeping up with inflation and a little bit more, like a quarter more. And this whole thing about California having until 2022, which is a weird year to even look at. You write it, you're like, is that really a year? It seems more like a code or something from a sci-fi movie. But 2022, I've looked at calendars, an actual year, and California will actually be paying everyone at least $15 an hour. But you know, that's only $12.95 in today's dollars and cents. Today's dollars and cents. So here's some more fun with inflation. New York, $15 by 2018. That's good. That will feel like $14.25 in 2016 money. So that'll spend well. But everywhere else in New York, outside of New York City and the two closest counties, Long Island and Westchester County. So you go 25 miles north of the city, they're only raising the minimum wage to $12.50. So $12.50 by 2021, that seems like $11.05 today. So all these headlines about New York minimum wage, $15, well, to everyone outside Westchester, Long Island, and New York City, the headlines should be, Governor Andrew Cuomo signs into law a raise to $11.05. That is the more accurate way to report this, taking into account inflation. It doesn't seem so revolutionary. But today's spiel is revolutionary. It breaks the mold. It's a takeover by Zoe Chase reporting on the potential takeover of the Republican Party by Donald Trump and his acolytes. So what are the Republican stalwarts doing about it? But first, Children's Hospital is leaving us. And without Children's Hospital, what will happen to all those poor, sick, fictional children? 
I will predict better health outcomes. Have you seen the show? Those doctors are terrible. Rob Corddry, Lake Bell, Megan Mullally, Ken Marino, Rob Eubler. Terrible, terrible doctors. As is our guest, Aaron Hayes. Though, as you'll find now, a lovely person. Slack wants to make your life simpler, more pleasant, and more productive. I like that more pleasant in there. I use Slack every day, literally, sometimes several times a day. Everyone I work with uses it, I don't know, several times a minute. It's an internal messaging app, so it takes all the lack of productivity associated with email, but especially with meetings, and cuts it by large percentages. They did a survey of users, and there was a 32% productivity increase, a 48.6% reduction in internal email, and they had a quarter fewer meetings. I mean, if you could save two meetings by having Slack in your office, doesn't Slack pay for itself just in terms of sanity? So what Slack does, it takes the best of email, the best of IM, the best of Skype, and puts people all in one place that's opt-in, that doesn't have to be invasive, right? It's like a non-invasive MRI of communications. And it lets you talk when you want to talk. It keeps all the messages there so that you could go back if there was a conversation you didn't take part of. I mean, it just, instead of walking around the office and everyone talking to each other, you could just slack to each other in real time about important work things or that time a celebrity visited the office. That happens a lot at Slate. Someone will come in for an interview and on Slack, everyone will be going crazy and you look at their faces. They're not going crazy. They're just having that conversation on Slack. That's productive and indeed pleasant. So visit slack.com slash gist today to create a new team and you will get a hundred dollars in credit for when you decide to upgrade to a paid plan. They have a lot of information about how the service works. You get a good idea of it. Go to slack.com slash gist. Children's Hospital is going away. The absurdist, okay, you gotta say absurdist when you're describing Children's Hospital, but just throw a couple of plot details like the never seen announcer, like the fact that there's a hospital administrator named Chief because her mom thought she was a Native American, like the fact that Henry Winkler's character is obsessed with building a jetpack. Anyway, if you don't know Children's Hospital, You got no more time to get to know it. It's going away, but it exists seven years worth. And before that, some webisodes. And one of the stars of this crazy show about a hospital in Brazil is here with me. She's Erin Hayes. She plays Dr. Lola Adolf Spratt. That could very well be her middle name. They're telling me that the middle name is Dr. Is Lola Adolph Spratt. That is in Wikipedia. I did not know that there was an. I know I that know you. That were, I knew that. That's, I know that you were Muslim, but uh, in the show. Yeah. So when you learn you were Muslim, how did that affect your choices going forward? Oh my gosh. Uh, listen, these are two facts I did not know about my character, which is not <laughs> to say that they're not true. Right. It's just that there is so much about my character that has evolved over the years. You know, I mean, and talking about absurdist, you know, that I think my favorite device is that you put, you take John Hamm and you put a wig on him. Yeah. And poof, he's Mullen Ackerman. Yeah. Well, you know, he's just like the most gorgeous person I've ever laid eyes on. From what I know about gender reassignment surgery, that's that easy. Yeah. You all you do is you take, if you're in the top 0.001% of attractiveness and switch genders, it stays the same. It stays exactly the same. That's what I know about it. Put on a wig, take off a wig. Is this show, were you, okay, the show started as webisodes. Were you in those original webisodes? Yeah. You know what? I was doing a show on CBS. It was, you know, I had my fancy network sitcom and I, and Cordry 
called me because we had done Rob a, Corddry, the creator Rob Corddry, and yes. head nurse, <laughs> head um, doctor. Head, head, yeah. <laughs> uh, he called me and was like, I'm doing this just web series. Will you do it? Like, yeah, sure. Let me see. He was like, we just need you three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I was like, oh, okay. Let me see if I can get one day off. So they gave me one day off of my fancy sitcom, which then got canceled. And seven years later, here we are. Seven years later. And so how do you know Cordry? How do you know? Well, well, let me, before I ask that question, did he bring to it um, this this cast, which includes uh, Lake Bell and Ken Marino and guys from the state? And well, Henry Winkler joined later. Yeah, he joined later, but... Cordry just pulled together people he liked working with on various different projects. Like him and Lake did What ha- What Happens in Vegas together. Him and I did this failed Fox sitcom called The Winner together. You know, he knew a lot of those guys from UCB. Him and Ken Marino had done The Ten, yeah. which was David Wayne's movie. Right. So he had worked with David on that. It was just like friends. He just called in favors and we made, you know, 50 bucks a day or something like that. <laughs> And put this thing together, and then they were like, "I don't want to do." It. People were like, "You should make it a TV show." He's like, "Nah, nah, 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 nah," and then got talked into it by Adult Swim, and they presented the best offer, this little fifteen-minute slot. Well, as I understand it, they uh, wooed or whenever the, the webisodes were good, and people in the comedy world were saying, "You got to watch this," and it made a lot of lists. And I think Comedy Central or some other networks wanted to make it a proper sitcom. Yeah, they and wanted. He said, or the creator said, "This works better as like eleven minutes or twelve minutes." They wanted to do half an hour but if you look at half hour shows it's just so much plot mm-hmm. and then we didn't want we didn't want to do that much plot he was like no i don't want that much plot I, we can get just as much story into 11 minutes it's just going to be real tight and real jokey it definitely has the same number of jokes i would say the yeah. uh, as a sitcom the quality of jokes are better you don't sacrifice the concept of an a story and a b story no, we have a boy stories b stories yeah. everything it just happens real fast and the thing about it is because you commit because children's hospital commits so much to the humor at any cost you don't need setup for jokes. You don't need plausibility for jokes. Yeah, like no, if all you're doing is jokes, forget all that other stuff. Get to the jokes. Yeah, and most of it are it's like a commentary on a classic joke. So everybody already knows the joke. We're just putting a new taking a new look at it with an attitude towards it. So you don't, you know, you don't have to set up the whoa whoa what joke. You just have to say it seventeen times. Whoa 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 what? You know, then that's it. <laughs> Move on. Basically, you're saying the yeah. culture has done its setup for you. Yeah, and then we also don't. Every episode is completely new, so you don't have to like. Oh, we gotta finish your character arc for this storyline that you're stuck in. Like, no, you're in one storyline for one episode, and then the next one you're back in the fifties. So they will write in a forty-five second scene that explains that the character is not really dead most yeah, of the time. I got killed the first one, and then you found out I was just faking it. Yeah. They always explain people's absences because we don't have contracts. Yeah. We're just like whoever's available to shoot during that six weeks. So it's like a pickup basketball game? Pretty much. <laughs> You're like, hey, guys. We're like guys you... at the back of a Home Depot to do a... Okay, I'll take yeah. you, you, the big guy, and the funny one. Yeah. Or the, like pilot season comes around in Hollywood and we'll get a call like, hey, guys, please try to carve out some space for Children's Hospital. And I'm like, don't worry, guys. Most of the pilots I do don't get picked up. Anyway, I'll be totally free. <laughs> So this is a charity then. This, this is, is a this cha- is a charity. I am cause. a Children's Hospital has made me a hundred air. <laughs> have you gotten work from Children's Hospital? Though? I've gotten a lot of work from Children's Hospital. I I I joke like I joke I joke I joke I joke. That's what you um, do. That's what you're paid to do. <laughs> this show has t- opened up so many doors for me because it's the people that are watching it are the people that are creating the content I want to be involved in. So it's like gave me some comedy street cred. 
which has opened up a lot of doors for me. And I'm re- it's been the greatest job of my career so far, just in terms of working environment. Everybody is so cool and so down to earth. And there's no, like, we're just all really tight. And yeah. it's an, it's fun. It's like summer camp. There are jokes that are character-based, but will you ever say, I don't think my character would say that? No. No. <laughs> the only time we really stick to characters is when we do our behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh-huh. Those are the only ones that have a through line. Other than that, like, my character, we have discovered over the years, you know, she is a master impressionist. She's a lawyer. She has a drug problem. She is uh, an amazing singer. She is maybe a god like these are all just things and you're like oh okay yeah all right sure as long as there's a good joke sometimes we're like best friends with people and sometimes we're i'm just like sometimes i'm best friends with lake's character and sometimes i'm just ordering her around you know there's no continuity which is so freeing and so for the finale everyone's together pretty much everybody's in the finale the finale is you'll freed up your schedule for the finale yeah the finale is very (laughs) interesting of course we didn't know it was the series finale right and i'm really curious to see how people react to it i think people are gonna love it or hate it i think it really pays off in the end as a series finale when i watched it i was like oh and it's like there's certain parts of it with no jokes. Like it's interesting and it's different and it's a two-parter. And I'm hope people. I hope people. It's definitely not one to watch for the if you're like, oh, what's Children's Hospital all about? And you've never seen it. Don't just tune into the finale. Promise me it didn't all take place in the snow globe of an autistic boy. Of the snow globe of the autistic boy's fart. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> no, but we did set that up in the other like in some previous season. Because Rob Corddry is obsessed with the St. Elsewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There definitely is that reference in previous seasons. Now, let me ask you one other question. With so much talent there, some of them have been Megan Mullally, Henry Winkler, stars yeah. of proper sitcoms. You've had, you know, Lake Bell, extremely successful in all sorts of format, directed her own movie. I think of Rob Corddry, and this guy yeah. is so funny, and he shows up here and there as a character actor, and he runs this show, but, you know, you were on the winner with him. Yeah. Is, there, is there something to him? Like, does he have too much of an edge for middle America? Is he not... Not happy being this guy who's likable or is that all bullshit that networks used to say in the 90s and it's really not true anymore it's interesting i think first of all i love him he's the greatest guy and he's so supportive and like funny and kind and you know him and his wife are like in love and it's been all these years he's a great father all of this stuff he does tend to play this edgy kind of a-hole on tv and in movies because he's so good at it i think people want it easy they want to know that somebody's gonna do a part well so Mm -hmm. that's why people get keep doing the same things yeah but a lot of times people who are villains are really the nicest people people who play the villain people who play the nice guy are the worst people yeah (laughs) quite often as is the case with me yeah yeah. Clearly. Um, now, how is your singing ability in real life? You sing on the show. It's awful. I mean, <laughs> I sing on my show, and there are members of the public who say, Mike, we like your show, but we'll never listen if you sing. Why do you sing? <laughs> my producer, Andrea, begs me not Wait, to she's sing. She's shaking her head. I got a song in my heart, and oh. I have to share it. So you I sing have a s- decent voice. Yeah. We did, I did a really rousing rendition of We've Only Just Begun. Oh. <laughs> for karaoke the other night and I was quite proud of it uh, but on this show they were like you're you're a bad singer I was like well what level of bad what are we talking about here 
And they're like like screeching car tires. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well that's fun. And my voice, like after so much of it, my voice hurts so bad. And you could see Lake standing on the other side grimacing, like, oh god, we're we doing another take. <laughs> I was walking down the street, down the street, down the street. Saw a little girl like chance to me, and we danced by the light of the moon. Have you ever done anything that you were embarrassed about for more than a day on this show? What do you mean? Like watching it? Was I like, ooh, that was terrible. I'm embarrassed about that? No, they ask or you like... to do something. It's unbecoming, unladylike, oh, beneath that... your dignity, beneath oh, your God. station. I will never do anything because it's unbecoming or unladylike. <laughs> I'll never say no to something yeah. for that reason. It's only when I get out of my comfort zone and I don't think I'm doing it well. Okay. The impression episode was tricky for me. Until they really were like, no, 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 you're supposed to be terrible at impression. Oh, like, so not I didn't terrible. See, I didn't see that episode. So this is in a couple seasons past yeah. where I was not available for a lot of the seasons. So they created this episode where you find out I, I'm really good at impressions. And so then Jordan Peele's character comes and recruits me for the army. And it's a whole training thing. And then I disappear for the rest of the season. Uh-huh. You know, and I was on a show for NBC at the time. Yeah. And I was freaking out. I was like looking at these Joan Rivers and this Yoda and I had to do De Niro and I had to do. But and then they were like, no, 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 Aaron, you you only need to be passable. This The joke is that their impressions, ev- everybody's got a De Niro. You know, like everybody has a De Niro. You everybody's, say, can we talk? And yeah, all of like, a sudden can you're we talk? Yeah, like, that, that's Right. It. When someone has a catchphrase or Yoda, as if a yeah. syntax that's easy to do. I was like, I don't know about Michael Jackson. I'm like, can you go? I'm like, yeah, I could do that. There you go. Sure. They're like, just passable. That's it. Then I took a breath. But like the whole day, I'm like, oh, I'm like listening to tapes and trying to get a good impression. And it was terrible. She's way too method for yeah. Children's Hospital. Erin yeah. Hayes, she plays a character whose middle name is Adolf, but she just learned that. Dr. Lola Spratt, <laughs> Children's Hospital is the show. Thank you, Erin. Oh, thank you for having me. And now the spiel, never nudes. I'm giving my spiel over today to Zoe Chase. You might know her from This American Life, late of Planet Money. And Zoe has developed this little niche. She's reporting for This American Life, and she went down to South Carolina, and she talked to a conservative radio host who can't, can't get with Trump. And she's, she's knee-deep in this subculture of, well, how would you describe it, Zoe? Way deeper than the knees. I'm I'm so far in it, I can't see out. <laughs> and these are all, so your people are conservatives, Republicans, who hate Trump. That's who you've been catching up with. Yeah. And also people who are conservative and love Trump. Yeah. I'm into to both of those types of conservatives. Like, I'm interested in these never Trump people, you know, the ones that are like, I'm, we're going to stop Trump however we can. Right. And Trump is killing the Republican Party. And for all the things that the Trump phenomenon represents to everyone else, killing the Republican Party might not be so dire to you or me or just listeners, but it's dire to them. So you did a report on them and take me inside. I'll talk to you on the flippity flop. Uh-huh. Flip flapper. Okay, so I see where you stand. Okay, so the first guy that I talked to, uh, his name is Tom Nichols. He is a conservative capital C. It's his identity. He writes for this magazine called The Federalist. And the way he talks about the Never Trump thing, it's the way a lot of these guys talk. If the party no longer represents the philosophy that gave it birth, are we still required to show loyalty to the leader of that party if he's opposed to everything we stand for? And my answer was no, that at some point 
you're allowed to simply walk away and to say this party does not, if Donald Trump is the choice of the Republican Party, then these are not Republicans in any way that I recognize. So this guy, Tom, he he actually takes it a step further than most people, though, because his stance is if it's between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, then I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. And this is not an easy thing for him to say. This is not an easy stance for him to take. He hates Hillary Clinton. This is how he writes about her. Hans almost could not type those words because I think Hillary Clinton is one of the worst human beings in American politics. She has few principles that I can discern other than her firm conviction that she deserves the Oval Office for enabling and then defending her sexually neurotic husband. She lies as easily as the rest of us breathe. But yeah, he's voting for Hillary Clinton. And the way he justifies this It's a shout out to another election season 200 years ago, another time when someone took a principled stance to save his party from itself. There was a case in history where a prominent American patriot went up against his own party for what he saw to be the good of the political movement that he led, that he preferred to have an honest political break within his own party rather than to pretend to support somebody that he felt was inimical to the interests of what he believed in. Alexander Hamilton. Lots of people have been talking about Alexander Hamilton in the election of 1800, not just because of the musical, which is incredible. And yes, you will be hearing some of it in this spiel, of course, but also because The choice that Hamilton made in the election of 1800 is the choice that Tom Nichols is making now. This is how he thinks of it. He got the idea from his editor at The Federalist, Ben Dominich, who came up with this thing that he calls the Hamilton Rule. And the Hamilton Rule is to be used to make choices about who conservatives should be voting for right now. And we all started talking about the election of 1800, where Hamilton really dug in his heels and said he'd rather have an honest enemy than a false friend, the head of government, and that's when the light bulb went on. Here's what happened in 1800, though I'm sure you guys know. John Adams was running for re-election against Thomas Jefferson. Adams was a Federalist, like Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton decided that Adams had been such an utterly wretched president, putting out policies that Hamilton thought were bringing the country down and bringing dishonor to the Federalist Party, Also, they just personally did not like each other at all. And Hamilton hated Adams so much, he decided to throw his weight behind Jefferson. Jefferson, a guy from the opposing party, the Democratic-Republicans. Here's how Hamilton explained his choice back then. Jefferson has my vote. Hamilton hated Jefferson the way today's Federalists hate Hillary Clinton. They disagreed on everything, just the fundamentals of what America should be. But the Hamilton rule is this, and this is from a letter that Hamilton wrote on May 10th, 1800. If we must have an enemy at the head of government, let it be one whom we can oppose and for whom we are not responsible, who will not involve our party in the disgrace of his foolishness and bad measures. I think that the modern application of the Hamilton rule, I I will grant that my argument is a huge gamble. It's a huge gamble because it's forcing conservatives to oppose the party that has traditionally been the vessel of their 
movement. But that party, that vessel, has been hijacked by someone who intends to destroy it. So I don't think they really have much choice. After the South Carolina primary this year, Tom realized that lots of people were going to vote for Trump. And one way of stopping him was to give conservatives another option, the Hamilton Rule, a principled stance to protect the conservative movement. A lot of his readers, though they're not into this idea of protecting the conservative movement by voting for Hillary Clinton. And this article, once it was published, it generated a fair amount of controversy on Twitter. And I called up a 27-year-old Charles in El Paso after he tweeted to Tom Nichols, the GOP is already dead is what you don't get. No, because I feel that there's nothing to protect. I mean, I feel that there is no real conservative movement. You know, you go back to these recent midterm elections when when they took the Senate. You know, they all ran on stopping the profligate spending. They ran on uh, defunding Obamacare. They ran on all these things. And then they deliver on none of it. And then they wonder why people are upset. Tom Nichols is not so into that argument. Young conservatives in particular are a problem here because they are inexperienced and impatient. They think four more years without a Republican president is forever. And they also don't understand that sending conservatives to Congress in 2014 doesn't produce dramatic action by 2016. The government isn't structured to work that way. The Constitution of the United States is specifically designed not to let things happen that fast. It's it's. It's a feature, not a bug. And they just don't understand it. In part, again, I would argue because they don't understand how their own system of government works. The Hamilton rule has been getting some traction since Tom called for it. The conservative magazine, The Weekly Standard, just put Hamilton on the cover. It came up on Megyn Kelly's show on Fox. But at the same time, I think that these people are looking at Alexander Hamilton's rule. That's Dana Lash, another conservative writer. Um, I've been hearing a lot of talk about Hamilton's rule. Here's the thing, though. An approach like the Hamilton rule, it perfectly embodies the condescension that the Trump voters are furious about. And it makes them all the more excited to vote for the guy that people like Tom are trying to stop. Like the very argument that if you just follow this rule, you can protect the conservative movement. That argument is the thing that is inspiring people to vote for Trump in the first place. The more Republican politicians and writers and thinkers stand up and say never Trump for the good of the Republican Party, the more that inspires people who are furious at the Republican Party to vote for Trump. The Republican Party is not precious to people like Charles. Charles has his own anti-Hamilton strategy. As far as Trump being good, I don't know if he'll be good. I don't know if he'll be bad. He, you know, he's a wild card because I, I don't know at all if he can navigate the waters of D.C. and actually get stuff done or if he's going to be a flaming wreck and just be floundering from his first year to his last and the country's going to get worse as it goes on. But even though uh, he might be either or, People would rather take a chance on that than continue to vote for the same people. And he, he, Trump has this Archie Bunker style that's resonated with a lot of people. So he's running away with it at the moment. Hmm. So maybe it's the Archie Bunker rule. It's like throw Archie could, Bunker at the problem. Yeah, it could be. Just, just throw a guy uh, who's as fed up as everybody else at it, even if some of his ideas are bad. And I think it would probably be better 
than in all likelihood than to continue to go along at what we've been doing. Let's just blow it all up. See what happens. Yeah, and I guess that... Oh, hey, Zoe. It's me and you. Oh, back hi. again. <laughs> but I guess like, that's, the, that's the shocking and scary thing to Tom and Ben and not Charles. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I feel like what you have is two people that are actually really passionate about the Republican Party and frustrated with the Republican Party. That is this overlap that mm-hmm. these guys have, but they just have completely different solutions for what to do about it. Right. And so that also answers, I had a couple questions and one was uh, just over an overriding question with this whole stop Trump thing is uh, Ted Cruz is terrible, but to Ben, to Tom, Ted Cruz is great, or at least he's at least a Republican, you know? And in fact, he's at most a conservative. So to mm-hmm. a lot of the stop Trump people, Cruz is in a, we'll have to take our poison. Cruz is, Cruz is the medicine. I mean, I think the thing people like about Cruz is just that he's principled. You know, he he believes certain stuff. He says what that stuff is. Yeah. He doesn't waver on it all that much. Like, people feel like they know him, and whether they like him or not, people don't seem to disagree that Cruz is a principled guy. Right, the people like the Federalists and Ben and Tom. But this gets me to my point. So when they criticize Trump as unprincipled, you know, a lot of Republicans are not entirely orthodox. Rudy Giuliani ran for the presidency. He was in favor of legal abortion and gay marriage to some extent. Kasich says the same thing about gay marriage. I mean, Rubio went off the Republican reservation to some extent when he joined the Gang of Eight with immigration. So what's the principle that Trump is violating per se? Or is it just that he's so often is unorthodox. What's what's the principle, conservative principle that these conservatives say that he's betrayed? I think that you can answer that in two ways. I think Trump does say some stuff that sounds kind of big government-y, like just kind of passing edicts to not allow Muslims into the country or to like build some huge wall or slap a bunch of tariffs. Like that sounds big government-y. And I think that does freak out some conservatives. If you really listen to to the way people talk about Trump, who who want to who are part of this never Trump thing, it's that he's not principled at all. That like he's not standing on any kind of bedrock of any kind. One minute he's like pro-choice and abortion is fine. The next minute he wants to punish women who have abortions. Like it's not so much that his stance on abortion is wrong, is that they don't believe that he has stances at all. Right. His DNA is just not that of a conservative, they say. There's no proof of that, they would say. I'd see that. Okay. And the last thing I want to ask about, so I understand now from your report, the people inside this movement, the motivation of a subculture, if you will, but what effect might this have on the election? I only ask because every primary, just about every primary, there are some sore feelings. The loser says, well, we're not going to vote for the winner in the general. We're taking our ball and going home. Remember in 2008, there was Hillary Clinton. Her supporters had this thing called Puma, party unity, my ass. And they got Mm -hmm. interviewed a lot. We're never going to vote for Obama. And it just, I don't know if three people followed through with that. It certainly didn't show up in the polls. So if he breaks with conservatives and conservatives break with him, are people saying that really could affect the election? I'm not going to make a prediction about this election. Like, that just seems like a bad idea if you're me. We've gotten them right so far, right? All the predictions. (laughs) Yeah, like, that's easy enough. But, like, all I can say is if you look at the polls about Trump's you know, negatives in the general election, he has a really big problem. There's all these people that don't like him. Are the people in the mix who don't like him never Trump people? Probably, you know, but it's also just like a lot of ladies just don't like him. And maybe those ladies are never Trump people. But it seems to me that all the the, the stop Trump talk 
it actually inspires a lot of people to go out and vote for Trump. <laughs> so whether it shows up on the side of the anti-Trumps or the side of the pro-Trumps, I think you'll probably see it in the general election. There you go. Zoe Chase, thank you. I feel really good about having given you my spiel. You, uh, you were a good warden. You tended it well. Thank you so much, Zoe. That's very kind. Thank you. The election of 1800. Can we get back to politics? Please. Yo. Every action has its equal opposite. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi is part of the nearly never Trump movement. They only consider voting for Trump during the high holy days of the Orthodox calendar. But since they are Orthodox, that means they're never going to be voting for Trump. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, is part of the Dusk Trump movement. It's not the Dump Trump movement. It's the Dusk Trump movement. They will consider voting for Trump only at dusk but after the polls are closed. Andy Bowers, part of the not even lowercase Trump movement, will not only not consider Donald Trump, he will not consider Trump cards and bridge, Trumpeters Dizzy Gillespie, Louis Armstrong, even the EBY children's book, Trumpet of the Swan. The gist, we're part of the often Trump movement. Have you heard the show? We got a lot of Trump. And I vow to outlast the Trump cast. Not for ratings, but just for my own sanity. Oomperu, Depru, Dupru, and thanks for listening. Ladies, tell your husband, vote for Bear.